Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. This is episode number 25 with our guest, Beth Brownlee. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Well, hello there, extraordinary people. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome into the studio, the on-air button shining brightly. We are ready to go. You're tuned directly into the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. If you are looking for a strong, passionate, driven, and my goodness, determined woman to follow and help you through life's biggest challenges, oh boy, today is your day. My guest is Beth Brownlee who went from a senior level sales and marketing professional to a woman who was diagnosed with and beat breast cancer and today literally inspires millions, millions through her Facebook fan page alone. Her doctors told her she was the poster child for the harsh effects of chemotherapy and her will to live was practically non-existent until one day, she received a get well gift in the mail inscribed with three simple words, trust your journey. That's become her brand, that's become her mantra, and that's become her inspiration to so many. And this, please help me welcome, is Beth Brownlee. Welcome to the show, Beth. Hey, Josh, I'm so happy to be here. My absolute pleasure. You have such a story that I only know a little about, but I'm already worked up. I'm already getting the chills all through it. I love that phrase. Let's go right to the heart there. Trust your journey. Why is it so difficult for so many of us to trust our journey? I, I, think, it's, I think it has so much to do with what we tell ourselves every day. I'm a, a certified life coach, too. I, I got certified because of Trust Your Journey. And obviously, we get a lot of emails and letters and messages on Facebook and all kinds of stuff. And I wanted to know my boundaries, right? Know my boundaries when I'm working with people. I need to know when I, somebody sends me a message to send them to a psychiatrist or a therapist or if I can handle it within the realms of being a life coach. And what I found is I started to study self-talk. And I got to tell you. We tell ourselves some pretty bad stuff. It's uh, self-talk and, and that voice in the head is on rapid fire. It's six to eight times faster than anybody can talk. 
and uh, it's 65% negative. So I, uh, I think that's it. I think that's what holds us back. And I, I think we don't trust ourselves. And, and through that path you just described of cancer, that's where I learned to trust myself. So you received this thing, and we're going to get into all of that. But fast forwarding, you have a Facebook community with over 3 million fans to date. Why do you think what you've come up with resonates so well? Well, we, we chose when we started Trust Your Journey, and we'll probably, you and I will backtrack into that story a little bit, but we intentionally knew that we wanted to target women. And uh, we knew women share. We love you guys, Josh. We love you. But women share. You guys just kind of talk about it and you move on. And, you, you know, I saw it managing for so many guys. Women share. They hold on to it and they share. And, uh, you know, their moms and their caregivers and their sisters and, and, you know, church and everything else. So we targeted just women. And um, I would tell you the Facebook page is 80% women, 20% men. But this message just resonates. And we saw it before Ruth and I we were at Columbia Sportswear when we went through our trials and we had awesome jobs. I mean, we, we had no intentions of leaving our jobs. She uh, lost her husband and I had the cancer and we were, we uh, went back to work uh, after grieving and I needed to get well. And uh, when we got back to work, we found ourselves saying these words and somebody would say, we're leaving the company. We say, trust your journey. I'm getting a divorce. Trust your journey. I'm trying to lose weight. Trust your journey. And after a year of being back at Columbia, Ruth and I looked at each other and said, you know what? These words have meaning. They're valuable not only to us for what we went through, but to other women. And we took our stock options and left the company and did something good. In layman's terms, what does trust your journey really mean? Uh, to me, it's about embracing yourself in that path and, and knowing that everything does have a purpose. And um, you know, we all have choices in life and I just, I just feel like that we, for the most part, we don't trust ourselves. Things are instilled in us throughout our lives and, uh, we just don't understand those three words. And if you learn to trust your journey and know there's, there's, and find purpose in all things, even the mistakes, Josh, gosh, I, I've made a ton of them and, and I've made some big ones and I've made some small ones and I'll continue to make them. But I, I do find the lesson in everything. I, I refuse to be the victim. I'm good at being a student and I'm, and I'm great at being a teacher, but I'm not going to be the victim. There's something good in everything. I love that you said um, you've made mistakes big and small and you will continue because how I've heard it phrased is um, if you've made a mistake and you've learned from it and find the value and the lesson from it, it's no longer a mistake. No, that's right. I mean, uh, it's, it's just another lesson, right? Any, anytime you, you take that step back, there's another lesson there for you. And, and they happen all the time. Uh, listen, I, I could throw a thousand examples out there, but, uh, you know, whether it's at work, now that I'm executive coaching, I, you know, I see them at work. I, I hear it all the time when I'm, when I'm coaching executives. And then, you, you know, my own self, I catch myself now because I'm so conscious of it. You know, I walk right into my, my own uh, uh, tongue sometimes when I say something I shouldn't say. And, uh, and then, you know, I'm very observant of it in others. But we're going to make them. This is life. It, we're perfectly imperfect. That's what we are as humans. So. And I love how um, it, it, it also, the, the other part of this is looking at failure. It's, there's no such thing as failure. We're putting the label on failure most often because of what we 
think others are going to say or do or how we think we're going to look. But, but failure, if you study anybody of success across the board, what do they say? Uh, fail often and fail fast because you have to. You're never going to rid yourself of failure. You find that true? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur, uh, this will be my second time coming up here. Uh, it, you know, you're going to make mistakes. We all make them. We, like I said, I've, I've made some big dollar mistakes. You know, I, uh, I was in charge of product and, and doing product for Trust Your Journey. And it, it's amazing how quickly you can make a mistake and it costs the company a lot of money. Uh, you can say the wrong thing at a show. You can uh, ship the wrong thing to, I mean, they're, they're going to happen every day. You have to be comfortable with that. It doesn't mean I like it. It doesn't mean I accept it. It doesn't mean I'm settling for anything, but you have to be, I always call it embrace. You got to embrace your mistakes. I want to go back to the very beginning and then we'll connect all these dots. (laughs) Take Take us back, please, uh, to, uh, to growing up as a child, a very young Beth. What was that home life like? Woo, that, was, uh, that was incredible. Uh, I think since a young age, I was always, uh, I had a second grade teacher that always made me promise every time I saw her to be a teacher. She wanted me to be a teacher. And I agreed to that. And I kept that, kept that in my head. But I will tell you, I was... Um, I was always bucking the system as a kid. And I always uh, saw how the guys seemed to have more fun than the girls because I wanted to be out in the woods. I wanted to be camping and I wanted to be going. I was fortunate to have an older brother and my older brother allowed me to do a lot of these things. Um, so, you know, that was really good. Uh, he, he definitely was instrumental in my life and I wanted to play football. And of course, at that age and that time, no way. But he got me a mouthpiece and I was allowed to lay on the pads of the football team and watch him practice. So, you know, I was always trying to do things beyond just the Barbie doll. And, um, and not that Barbie dolls are bad, but, uh, but I was just getting outside the box constantly. And then, you know, it, it, growing up, I, I became an, I was an athlete, um, played a lot of basketball growing up and went on into college and, and played ball there. I maintained the being a teacher coach, you know, I wasn't ever going to change that. So that's what I studied in college. And then, you know, that took me to great places. So, hmm. so, so growing up, it was you and your brother in a, um, in a fairly supported and loving household. Well, not really. I mean, uh, you know, my father was an alcoholic and so, uh, I learned a lot of lessons there too. I, I, uh, he loved me. He showed his love in a lot of different ways, but uh, at the same time, he was an alcoholic, and and we became very observant to, you know, every night what was going to go on in the house and and what we would see, and uh, with my mom and dad and fighting and him him not coming home or wrecking the car or whatever that thing was. So, it it changes your life, um, you, you know. But I used it to my advantage. I I didn't allow it to pull me back. What were some of those things that you saw or knew were coming? Uh, with my dad. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, you know what we would, when you would come home at night, you would walk in the house and you could observe things and know what had gone on. So if I came in from practice, basketball practice, I would look around and I would see if there was one plate on the table or two plates on the table. Uh, I would know if my dad was already in bed sleeping and I, I'm just coming in from practice to, to eat dinner or whatever. Uh, if he wasn't present and all the plates were on the table, but his. Um, you know, we became very observant as kids 
to what had happened before we got home or has, was getting ready to happen when he did come home. Um, so, you know, sometimes you use those things to your advantage too, right? You don't have to say a word. You just look around you and know what's going on. So, well, how, Jumping to today, how, because I can, I can see a connection. I just can't verbalize it. So being able to take what you, what you were able to see or foresee or project, how is that applicable to your success today? I think, well, I'll say first off, I'm very conscious of alcohol. That doesn't mean I don't drink or, or whatever, but I'm very conscious of, of it in any environment. Uh, but I'm very observant to things. I have a lot of attention to detail. Um, I, with my dad, I honestly, if he came in drunk at late at night, I would go run. It would be 1130 or 12 and I'd take off running. Uh, I don't do that anymore. I don't run from things anymore. I learned to confront the issue. Um, I learned when to be quiet. I think silence is a good thing. It can work in your favor. Uh, you have to know when to have those conversations, not have those conversations. I try to separate the person from the issue, um, you know, the, uh, which is hard. And I don't take it personal because I know it was never about me. So was there any anger or resentment either as a child or young adult or your relationship with your father throughout these years? And how was that resolved? You know, I, I, oh boy, that's a tough question. I, I would have to tell you that I would always let him know I loved him, but I don't think it was ever, he died in his sleep one night and didn't wake up the next morning. And uh, so, you know, was that that last thing? Was that lingering thing? Was that that time? There wasn't. But I think he know that, I, I have no doubt he knew I loved him. And, and that was the most important thing. I, I couldn't judge it. I've become very non-judgmental because I don't know his path. I don't know your path. I don't know people's past. So it's, it's led me to be non-judgmental toward people. Which I think, and I've learned this um, over the past, few or several months really being very aware very conscious of that exact thing we we almost whether we use that word or are so conscious of it we are judgmental it's almost a default to to a fault and the more you could take a step back and let people be people make their own decisions make their own choices live and let live that's freeing in so many ways Oh, absolutely. I, uh, that's, that's one thing that, that I work on every day because we don't know people's past, Josh. We don't know why they are who they are. Do I forgive them? Let's just say it's some extreme crime or something. No, I, I, you know, I, I, don't make, I don't make excuses for them. Let's just say that. But I do try to understand it because I don't know what happened to this person at 10, 11, the Beth, the Beth at age 14, 15, I don't know what happened to them to make them who they are today. So that's why it's so important to work really hard not to judge people and just know that they had a different path from you and they are who they are for a reason. It's the, the typical story that, or I should say example, that's an easy way to correlate this is if you're cut off in traffic and your instinct is to get furious and angry and upset, well, first, you don't know the motivation or reason. You want to make it into something. Oh, I'm not respected. Screw this person. F them, whatever. But you don't know the story behind it. Maybe they're in a rush because they have to get their child to a hospital 
control or who cares or who knows what it is. There are a hundred different reasons, all that have nothing to do with you, but we make it about us and that takes our day downhill quickly. Oh yeah. This is, you you know, we were talking about self-talk and the voice in the head. There's no better place than driving. Uh, That it goes cray cray when you're driving and it makes no sense because when you, when you understand it's just another voice, it works well for you in common, common situations. Put on your left blinker, brush your teeth, wash your hair. That's great. The voice in the head's great for that. But when you allow it to get out of control, yes, it, it's, it's crazy when you're driving. You, listen, pay attention to it. It's nuts. Just like you said, you, you, your judgment, your judgment so comes out when, when the voice in the head goes out, out of control. Hmm. So. Uh, so you're now in, um, you're now in high school and looking towards the future, what were those years like? What were you striving towards? Um, you know, I knew I wanted to be a teacher. I knew I wanted to coach. Coaching was real important. Basketball was such a big part of my life. And so I went, um, I decided to go to a, a college north of Atlanta. And uh, I had no intentions of playing ball for some reason. I just was, I think I'd been playing for so long since I was in like sixth grade that I was just like done. And then when I got to college, um, somebody asked me to walk on and try out for the team. And I did, and I made it. And um, so I played ball there. I got involved with sorority. Um, I was doing all kinds of things at college, best years of my life by far. And, um, and I, you know, got my education uh, degree. And um, at 21, I went back to my high school. I don't know if that was good or not. You know, you get to see what goes on behind the teacher's lounge door. Uh, but I went back to my high school and, uh, became a teacher and a coach. So you said that those college years were the best years of your life. Why? I think because you, you, you grow and you, you learn so much from your mistakes and you're maturing and you're trying to find your way and you're trying to figure out what's important, you know, uh, you know, you're, you're sacrificing a lot when you're a, a college athlete and, and then you're involved with sorority or this and that. So, um, uh, y- you know, and then the meaningful friendships that are still incredible friendships today, incredible friendships today. So I, th- I think all of that together, because everybody's going through that same experience, is what binds you. It's the glue that keeps you together even as of today. And we're fortunate we have things like Facebook and other, other ways of keeping in touch. Hmm. So now you graduate, you get a teaching job. Is that right? I did. I went back to my own, my high school, which was crazy, but I did it. And how was that era? I think you go back with expectations. I think you go back because, you know, you were a student there. You're like, oh, this is great. I'm going back to my high school and all. And then you, you walk in and uh, you, you, uh, you start to understand that there's a lot more going on behind the scenes than you ever knew as a student. And uh, teaching's a tough job. And teaching is influential. People can say what they want. But when you're a teacher, you've got those kids a long time every day. And you do make an impact on their lives. And you do hear the things. I taught remedial math. I taught PE. And I taught health. And in remedial math, I would hear the struggles of those kids. Kids would get to eighth grade and didn't know how to add, subtract, multiply, or divide. And it's crazy. So I heard their struggles. I heard what was going on at home. I guess I was life coaching back then because I knew there was either drugs or divorces or whatever going on in the homes of these kids that were really struggling. So, you know, um, a lot of politics involved, a lot of politics involved with coaching. Uh, and I wasn't ready for that. I'd always been taught, go out, practice hard, play hard. 
uh, earn your place on the team and you will play if you're good enough. And that's how it goes. Well, when I got into coaching, I found out there's a lot more than that. And I was very discouraged and I only stayed three years. And then went where? Corporate? Well, I, I, I sent a letter right before I was quitting teaching. I sent a letter to Nike and I said, look, if you'll hire me, I'll be the best rep you've ever had. And they sent me back a letter that said, contact our warehouse in Memphis. I'm sure they have work. And I went, oh my gosh, you just insulted me. And uh, so I, uh, I didn't. Uh, and I said, wow, it's going to be who I know, not what I know. And uh, I went to work for the athlete's foot and I was paid three thirty-five an hour for fitting shoes. Oh, in their retail store. In their retail store. And I found my way up through the system, became a manager, a team salesperson. Uh, I was a buyer and met the right people and uh, left there to go work for Reebok. How do you think you, how and when did you embrace your sales skill? Because you clearly have that. When did that form? Probably, I would say definitely on, uh, and it had to be when I started working for the athlete's foot, you kind of figure that out a little bit, uh, because you're, you're working with people walking through the door and you're trying to, I believe it or not, back in the day, it doesn't happen today. I don't want anybody freaking out on us, but back in the day, you might have, uh, you might have a shoe company that would come in and promote a particular shoe. So Beth, anybody within our our organization if you sell this shoe you get an extra five bucks i could talk anybody into that shoe so those kind of things that's when you go oh my gosh look what i just did i talked them into buying that shoe well i think i'll try the next person now it was a great shoe it was a great running shoe but you, you know you sit there and go wow okay so I, I would tell you it was probably right there and then it just grows because you're working in that environment all day long. So it just grows and grows. But I'm so glad I started there because starting at that level helped me to get to where I ended up. Listening to even this part of the story and all parts of your story so far, it, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for an ounce of insecurity. It sounds like you were a confident gal. Is that true? No, no. In, in my head every day, I, I, I doubt myself. I, I find that with a lot of people. I find that when I'm coaching executives, I think we all have doubt. I, I mean, you look, you read it, you read it everywhere. Look in the, you think like Ben Affleck and all these people, everybody has that voice in the head telling them junk. And you have to work every day to overcome that. You have to commit to change, commit to change. I think that's such the trap that we see everybody else from coworkers, friends, colleagues, strangers, celebrities, business people, and we, we label them as success and the ideal and, oh my gosh, they got it figured out and that feels isolated. I know I, I had that, that trap for so long and you feel like everybody else is doing it. Why aren't I, where are these meetings? How can I get in this club? Well, you uh, look, social media. I look, I, I know the positive of social media, right? I mean, I, I use it. I, we use it correctly. We, we uh, lift people up and make them think and think outside their box and all that good stuff. So there's power in social media. There's positive in social media. There's also a downside to social media because we go to LinkedIn, we go to 
social, you know, Facebook, we go to Instagram, whatever, and everybody's slap happy and having a great time and getting an award and getting this and looking good in their bathing suit and getting promoted. And I just got a new job. And we think, you know, LinkedIn, everybody's getting a new job or anniversary every day. And you're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? So when you see all that, you're bombarded with that all the time. You do create a little self-doubt for yourself, if not a lot of self-doubt. You now, um, you're at Athlete's Foot, you work your way around. What's the next, the next well, level? Well, I, I go through a lot of different companies. So I, I go, um, I, I start with Reebok in the heyday, and it was the best time ever because I tell everybody we had like four shoes that were the crappiest shoes ever. They fell apart, but people kept buying them. And all you had to do was sit at your desk and take orders. I didn't have to see a soul. And so it was an awesome time, but that didn't last. And then uh, from there, I went to uh, a shoe called Avia, and it was in their heyday, shoe called the Transport, and it was awesome times. From there, I started my own sales agency, which was a, a challenging, but I was selling a lot of different uh, lines, uh, Serengeti, eyewear. You know, you just, uh, as an agency, you usually sell eight lines or so. So I did that for a while and hired some people to sell. And then uh, from there, I became... Uh, a sales manager at a company called Hind Apparel. Uh, there was a guy named Greg Hind. He invented the, uh, for water polo, he invented the headgear for water polo. So he invented all these swimsuits and stuff. So I worked for him for uh, several years uh, as a national sales manager. And then uh, once I left there, I went to ASICS Running Shoes. And I worked for ASICS, um, Japanese-owned company. I worked there for about three years. And then from there, I got hired at Columbia Sportswear to be a regional sales manager. And then uh, I finished up there as the director of sales for the U.S. over apparel. So up to this point, all of that that you just spelled out, <laughs> were you, was up, up to this point, was everything quite magnificent and ideal? Like was life just going well for you and you're loving everything? top of the world. It was an incredible ride, um, you know, clicking on all cylinders. Same for Ruth. Uh, Ruth had just married her high school sweetheart. They had a 12-month-old child. We were both just clicking on all cylinders in the summer of 2004. Okay, so right before that, um, introduce us. Who is Ruth? So Ruth Nichols is my uh, business partner. She had been at Nike for 10 years, and we happened to come to Columbia at the same time. We came there in 1998, um, 1998 going into the 1999. So we didn't know each other. I was at ASIC, she was at Nike, but we did not know each other. And this is and Columbia Sports Apparel. Columbia Sportswear, yeah, big, yeah. big, big company. And uh, so anyway, uh, they, uh, we went to a show for the first time and they roomed us together. And uh, she came in the room and we hit it off immediately. Uh, we roomed at every show thereafter over the next eight years. We were good, dear friends. And uh, it just so happened um, that uh, in 2004, we just, we both at the same time hit the wall. Tell me about her wall first. Well, her wall was, her husband uh, was in kidney failure. He was 42 and he was in kidney failure. They have a 12 month old. They've only been married a few years. and. Um, he, um, he was really, really struggling um, to live, and he eventually passed away. That, that summer, it got worse, and then he passed away in December of that year, 2004. And so that left her as a single, uh, you know, a widowed uh, young mom. And what, what was your wall around the exact same time? Same time. 
uh, I was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer. And so, you know, I'm pretty upbeat. And as you can tell, and uh, I said, not a problem, I'll get beyond this and all those good things. So I had a mastectomy. Um, and then I started chemo and the chemo was horrendous. And um, I spiraled out of control. I went into a chemo depression and I wasn't speaking with anybody. I really didn't want to um, bathe or eat or anything. I was very, very sick. I lost hair, fingernails, teeth. <laughs> the teeth you're looking at are not, these front teeth are not my teeth. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a bad, bad experience for me. And I did not want to live. How long was that, that portion? How long was that lasting? That lasted um, in, from October of 2004 until February 2005. And it was during, in the middle of that, that Ruth's husband passed away. Hmm. And it was, what kind, of, what kind of external support did you have? I had, I had incredible external support. Um, I had all friends and family, and uh, it, it was crazy. Uh, but people got to know that if you came and sat with me or after a chemo treatment, if you came over to my house, I wasn't going to talk to you. I didn't want to talk to anybody. So it, it, was, it was great. I had great uplifting support. But honestly, when you're in depression, it doesn't matter. What were the doctors telling you about what you can or should expect, really? Well, they, they kind of prepare you for that. I think in my head, that's how I knew I was in a depression because I'm not, I'm not one to understand depression. And, and so now I do. I, I could, if anybody says they're depressed, I get it now, but I'm not one to understand it. So they prepare you a little bit. They kind of tell you, look, if you ever find yourself in this place where you don't want to eat or bathe, you need to talk to us. And uh, so, yeah, uh, you, I don't think they really know sometimes, though, because you know what? It, it, it's different for everybody. That's why he called me the poster child, because I, I gathered every side effect of, of the chemo. Did you, at this point, between October and February, while that was going on, I know you were, you were depressed, you, you didn't have much of a will to live, but were you really prepared for any outcome? Yeah, I was. I mean, I, was, I just wanted peace. I, I think when you're in that place where there's such negativity in your head and you think when you, when you were an athlete and you, health is the most important thing in your life, and I tell everybody that today, health, I, I sat down and wrote before I got into a really bad place, there's nothing greater than your health. There's no person, thing. You can ask people they're sick right now. They're probably going to tell you that. There's nothing greater than your own personal health. Because if you don't have it, all that other stuff doesn't matter. So I wrote that in a journal, and then I went into the, the dark spiral. But, uh, but I, 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 I kind of knew, but it, it was just a bad place. But, you know, the, the blessing in all of that was in the middle of it. After my third chemo treatment, when I was really in a dark place, I had eight, was where I found the words, trust your journey. So what happened? You're sitting there minding your own business. and. <laughs> And what well, happens? Okay, so because of my job, right, I'm the director of sales for the U.S. for apparel, big responsibility, all the retailers in the country, the Bass Pros and, you know, uh, Dicks and everybody, everybody knows you're sick. My house looked like a retail store. Everybody's sending you hats and gloves and blankets and all kinds of gifts and everything. And so it was crazy. It just, it, it's crazy all the things I had in, at my disposal. For some reason, when I went to that dark place, that really dark place, I started to look for answers in all the things around me. So I started to go through the things. And um, 
I found um, a gift from a rep that worked for me in a previous job from Texas. And she had sent me a gift. And in that gift were the words, trust your journey. And I went, oh, my God. I, I couldn't believe the words. They were so powerful. They, they totally came in, brought me out of the depression, but I still had five more treatments of chemo, so I wasn't well. But I understood life. that the, At that point, the cancer was only going to be a part of my life, not my entire life. And so two weeks later, after I felt better, at least about myself, two weeks later, Ruth's husband died, so I shared the words with her. And they saved her life in a whole different way. Um, so like I told you, we went back to Columbia and we had great jobs. We didn't want to leave Columbia. We loved our jobs there. And so, but we found ourselves every day for a year, somebody would say, I'm getting a divorce. We'd say, trust your journey. I'm leaving the company. Trust your journey. I got to lose weight. Trust your journey. Whatever that thing was that was troubling somebody, we would say, trust your journey. After a year, we looked at each other and said, you know what? I think God wants us to share these words with other women. So we took our stock options and we went out and did what we knew, which was products. So we created inspirational products for women. Because I found in chemo, you need that tangible reminder. We think we can do it in our head. I failed at doing it in my head. Failed, failed. But I had these pocket stones and I had these special bracelets and I had things there that let me know the love people had for me. And it saved my life sometimes at night because it was dark when you live by yourself and you get in that, that place. You almost found this this gift with the words trust your journey almost quote unquote by accident right you said that you were in a dark place and you just started looking around it's not like the mail came you were sifting through the mail <laughs> you almost no. were like brought to it right i think i was a seeker i was really seeking answers for the last couple of weeks but when i got to that place um i was ready for the message i was ready for it I was so ready for something and I found that and that was it. And it, and it hit me and, and it saved me. Ready for the message. I, I say a similar thing. I'm sure you've heard it. When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. It's not backwards. It's not, Oh, I'm just going to sit here huffing and puffing and wait for that. No, no, no. You have to be ready. You have to show the appreciation. You have to be open, ready, willing, and able first. That's what lets everything in. Beth, what do you think would have happened if you did not find this gift? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I don't know. I don't know what I would have done. I, I was going to stop my chemo and just take my chances. So at that point, right before I found the words, I was done. I was not going any further with chemo or anything and take my chances with whatever life dealt me with, would be what life dealt me. So you don't know what would have happened. So you were ready for what life dealt you. And in your seeking way, as you put it, you were ready for the message and to move on. What a great, great lesson there. Yeah. Uh, uh, wow. The timing in life is crazy. Um, and I it's look all back, there. It's all there if you're looking for it, right? Oh, my gosh. You, you've just got to open up. That's the thing. That's why they talk about meditation and time and taking a break and 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 decluttering your head you have to declutter you have to just let it go sometimes and i think that's so important to for you to be able to hear the message look you can be a seeker all your life but you got to be ready for the message i could i could just 
sit for a while in silence after that and just let that sink in. So true. Um, for some months now, not even years, just, just some months, I, I meditate every single day. I love it. I long for it. I want it. I need it. And prior to this, I wasn't ready for it. For years, I heard all about meditation and I didn't get it. I would roll my eyes, think, I, uh, who, for, I, no, I, I can't. I don't know what, I, I got to go. And it just never sunk in. But now I get it. I'm ready for it. I'm open to it. And it's, it's the game changer. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think enough uh, uh, people at work, I don't think enough people personally, I think our lives are so busy and crazy. And, and um, I, I just don't think people take the time for them and take the time to be quiet. And speaking of, um, you wrote the book, Trust Your Journey, 30 Daily Meditations for Finding Joy, Peace, and Purpose in Life's Challenges, available on Amazon. We link to it in and around this session on the show notes. And I clicked on um, the book cover on Amazon, and you could, you know, uh, look inside this book so they give you a preview. My goodness, it's wonderful. Hey, thanks, Josh. You know, it's it's really for me, you know, traveling so much and stuff, it's all about time and, and it's time for everybody. Uh, it's a quick read, you know, it's a, it's a day at a time. Don't look, I had some friends read the whole thing and I got all over them. I'm like, do not read the whole thing at one time. It's a day, spend 15 minutes on you, read it, read the blessing, meditation, read the blessing and re and take the journey step, get outside your comfort zone, do the things you tell your, get in your head and say, you're going to call that person or, or, or change that job or whatever, do it, do it. Yeah, it's literally that one step. That's it. Not overwhelming, one tiny step. Take action, right? Yeah, it's all about the action because we, we don't commit to change. We, we, heck, we don't even own our junk half the time, but even when you own it, you, you, when you become accountable, you have to commit to change, and, and we're not good at that. We are habitual human beings. We stay in our habits so much. It's crazy. Mm. Our habits. There you go. I'm on a, my, my current journey has me very aware of that word, of that action of mine from the minute I rise to the minute I go to sleep. What are my daily habits? And I've mm -hmm. drastically changed them. And being able to do that, to really do that. Uh, one at a time, a half at a time, a, a sliver at a time. Once you can change your habits and make things a daily habit, a daily routine, you will, in, in essence, rid yourself of all the ones that don't serve you. Least of which, a very easy example, for, for all of my life, I, I, I bit my nails and I, I hated that about myself. And I would just, you know, I'd be embarrassed and all that negative stuff that would reinforce my beliefs, which is probably why you do it. I was full of stress and anxiety that always brought my nails back to my mouth and picking them and uh, I hated it. And all of a sudden, I didn't consciously try to stop biting my nails. But once I implemented different habits that slowly but surely replaced the fear, the anxiety, the overwhelm in my life, to this day, I do not bite my nails because I have no desire to. Isn't it crazy habits? I, I tell everybody, just do, try to do something different. Try to get in the shower and go backwards and, and how, you know, I get in there and wash my hair and then I wash my body or shave my legs or whatever. Do it backwards. It drives you nuts. 
it, move your trash can in your kitchen to a different, different side of the kitchen and see how much you go back to the old place. You will do that for months. That's how habits are formed. And so in our head, because they're out of sight, out of mind, it's nuts what goes on in our habits in our head. So breaking those things, it, it's like you said, Josh, it's one step at a time. Don't overwhelm yourself. Don't wake up at 3 a.m. going, oh my gosh, I got you know, 15 things I got to change. Just take one thing at a time, one thing, and it'll change your world. It'll change your world. Wrap up the, the 2005 story for us. Uh, so you had your last chemo, and how did all this wind up? Well, when we got back to work, we, you know, we were, because we said the word so much, we said, you know what, let's go do this. We, we, we know how to do this. We know how to do apparel has been a part of our life and footwear. And we had to learn a lot of things. Uh, we, we sold jewelry and wore a lot of hats and, you know, at our job and our level, we were handing off stuff. God bless the IT guy at Columbia Sportswear and the person that did the catalog and all these things, you know, I say that every day to Ruth. I'm so thankful for those people now because all they did was support us. I mean, we just asked for something and it was given to us. Now we had to do it, right? So we, we went to a marketing company, Fain and Trip in Atlanta, and those guys uh, gave us an incredible logo. It's a heart, labyrinth heart. And that's all about the journey too, right? From beginning to end. And, uh, and then they put the words in a beautiful font. So we had a great logo and we knew we were ready to go. Uh, we went out and sourced product with our resources, believe it or not. A friend of mine from Reebok Days uh, has a factory in China for shirts. Uh, the people at Bass Pro helped us find jewelry because we had never done jewelry in our past lives. So they helped us find a jewelry source. Uh, we knew hats, uh, journals. We had people all along the way that had worked with us that helped us find sources for everything we were getting ready to do, mugs, drinkware, and everything. So we knew retailers. We started going to shows, and uh, we, we knew a lot of people already. So we were at shows, uh, gift shows and outdoor shows and all kinds of shows. And so that's what we've been doing. And then we started doing the thing everybody does, which is selling direct on our website. And, um, and then Facebook social just came along. It, um, it's an organic growth. We didn't go out there and buy it. Um, it's, it just happened. Uh, because, again, women share. And they were sharing our page a lot. And therefore, that's why the growth just continued to happen. When did you get the news of your cancer? I got the news of the cancer on September 21st in 2004. And uh, it was crazy. Um, the doctor called. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it's never good when the doctor calls, is it? Usually it's the nurse or somebody else. When the doctor calls, I say, oh. So I answered it and I said, hey, Dr. Stapleton. He goes, hey, I, I need to talk to you. And I went, oh, this is not good. This is not good. And uh, so he told me I had cancer. And I had a pity party uh, for about 30 minutes. I was by myself. So I fell to the floor and cried a little bit. And, uh, but then I got myself up and I said, you know, this is doable. So let's just go do this, tell family and friends and make it happen. So that's what I did. And when did you get news of the opposite side of that coin? Um, 2000. So I would tell you, you're, you never really know because there's always a chance cancer cells can break away and go anywhere in the body. My cancer was invasive, so it was already outside the boundaries. Um, it wasn't contained. So they treat you in thinking it could, you know, it could be anywhere. But I, I have to tell you this. Um, I, um, there's a drug for after cancer, and I refuse to take it because one of the side effects of the drug after you get through a cancer is cancer, cervical cancer. So 
I refused to take it. And my doctor said, um, he said, I want to do a genetic test. They do those today, but he did the genetic test. He said, I'm going to pay for it. I want to do it just to see. So he did the genetic test and he came back and he said, you know what? You don't have to, you don't have to do the drug because my, I was so low on the genetic test side. He knew it wasn't going to come back at that point. He said, by the way, he said, I might've overtreated you. And of course my eyes got big. He said, um, I probably did overtreat you. Uh, I had dense chemo. I was having chemo every two weeks instead of every three, which is norm and uh, breast cancer. And I said, if I didn't have trust your journey right now, because at that point we kind of knew, because, you know, this was like two years later. If I didn't have trust your journey right now, I would come off this table and take you out. (laughs) (laughs) He just smiled. He was a great doctor, great doctor. But today they do genetic testing prior to chemo, so they know how to treat. Back then, insurance wasn't going to pay for genetic testing. So he opted to do it after the chemo just to help me out. And, uh, but I had trust your journey at that time. So I gave him a big hug. <laughs> so with that, whether it's that specifically or your emotional state or your mindset, yeah. how much do you think that really affects your physical well-being? Um, I don't think it does. I'll never have it again. I just know I'll never have it again. Because of? Because I think it was uh, part created... Uh, Look, I think stress tips everybody. I, I think stress compromises you. I think stress tipped me into breast cancer. I was in a, it was very, very stressful um, uh, just doing what I was doing. I was getting ready to move from Atlanta to Portland. There was a lot of things going on. And I feel like I was just, um, maybe my body was already compromised a little bit, but I put stress into it and tipped it over. Looking back on your life, what advice would you give your younger self? I love this question. Um, Believe in you. Believe in you. And and you know what, Josh? I I tell everybody, if you could look down at your body, I think you have invisible post-its all over your body. It's things that second grade teacher told you, be a teacher, that's here. But it might also be that other post-it from the kid on the playground at age 10 that told you you had an ugly nose every day on the playground. Your nose is ugly and runs off. That's right here. So I think our bodies are just post-its of all the things people have told us through our life. You can't do it. You can do it. You're horrible. Why did you do that? Whatever my dad might have said in his, his you know, drunken state. I would just say continue to believe in you. Continue to believe in you and stretch and grow and learn every day. Always, always be a student. And when it's right, be a teacher. Wow. Do you believe everything happens for a reason? I do. I'm not going to say it's not by choice. You know, we make choices. We have choices every day. Uh, if you make a bad choice, though, I think, I think you have to find the purpose in it. And I think if you, you know, when you make the good choices, <laughs> hey, hats off, you know, go, go treat yourself or something. But, uh, but you will make bad choices. Are you spiritual or religious in any ways today? Uh, very spiritual, very much a believer. Um, could not have gotten through in the things I've gotten through, could not have gotten through. Um, but very open to other people too. I, I, I don't want to judge anybody. You know, I, I don't want to be judged, so I wouldn't judge anybody else. What do you believe happens when it's all over? Ooh, I'm, I'm, listen, my best friend, I had a best friend when I was teaching school. She was older than me. I was 21. She was 52. We became really good friends. And, um, 
um, her kids, she had four kids and they don't live here. So over the last years, she's, um, she's had Alzheimer's since 2006, been in assisted living near my home. And I've been able to give care to her since they don't live here. And um, it was such a blessing, such a blessing. I became the last person she remembered, right? Because I was there all the time. And uh, I, I have no doubt uh, she died back July 3rd this year, and it was tough. But I know where she is, and I can't wait till she greets me. So, yes, I'll be going to heaven for sure. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, where, um, I know that it's, it seems like you have, I mean, just thinking back on everything you've already accomplished, and where, what's next for you? Where do you really go from here? Well, I, it's always in my heart. I've kind of, I'm coming full circle right now. So I'm going to be executive coaching. Um, and it goes back to where we started, where I was ingrained in me at, at second grade to be a teacher and, and the coaching was just a, a bonus for me, but I get to go full circle now. So I'm, I'm headed into executive coaching and, uh, and so looking forward to it. Um, and already doing doing it on a part-time basis, but ready to do it full-time now. Magnificent. I will leave you with this one final question. How would you, Beth Brownlee, like to be remembered? Oh, wow. That I inspired change. That was a, I was inspiring change throughout my life. Um, a lot of people probably don't know. Maybe that's for me. You know, maybe I always want to inspire change in myself. I think we're all a mirror of what we say. So as I try to inspire change in myself constantly, I hope that I've been able to inspire change in others. I completely agree that we are a mirror of uh, ourselves and each other and a reflection. And you, Beth, are um, a magnificent, a, a brilliant and beautiful mirror right there. I thank you for opening up and sharing your story. Magnificent. And uh, certainly you have touched millions. So I cannot wait to see all that is left for you in this beautiful life of yours. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Thanks, Josh. You're beautiful too. And thank you so much. Such a blessing. I appreciate that. And it's a blessing for everybody's ears who are attached to this sound. I hope you found it informative, inspiring, insightful, whatever other word you found it to be. I am appreciative of that, appreciative of your time. Go do the magnificent, beautiful work you know you are capable of. That is deep inside you. You don't have to find it. It is already there. Move everything else out of the way and make it happen, please. And then share all that beauty with us. I'm a fan. Can't wait to do it again. Until we do, go get it. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.